welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by the pugnacious Dilly Algema and our stalwart producer, Simon Josie, to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey guys, I'm healthy. I'm back. I'm back, Hi, baby. Hey, Nick. Not for long if you call me pugnacious. Hey, we tried belligerent last week. You didn't like it. And so I've, I've, I've rolled the dice and you get pugnacious. It's a pretty good option, I think. Accurate description, wouldn't you say? Am I pugnacious? Okay, how... You know, you're going to be back on podcast Tinder very soon, looking for like podcast co-hosts. You, you watch your back. I'm going to have to go on some kind of uh, podcast Tinder. Swipe right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Find me a co-host. We'll roll the dice next week and see what we get. Uh, we're going to keep doing this until we land on a word that you feel accurately describes your your abilities and your personality uh, and the way that Stalwart definitely describes producer Simon. Um, speaking of which, Simon, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, Nick. I I don't often have much to say, and it's because I don't go out very often, but I actually... I was hosting this evening, which is quite remarkable. So our street, our whole little street is doing this advent calendar thing where each house one night has to has to host. Mm-hmm. And um, my wife wasn't here this evening. She's still in the office. But during the weekend, she made Christmas mince pies, chocolate bark, and a um, white chocolate and cranberry slab. And, um, and so this is what we offered as our as our gift to all our neighbors. So there was a half hour window for them to come to the back door and I had a little table set up with some lights flashing and um, heated up the mince pies for them and they're all very polite, all lovely people. And um, yeah, that's me trying to show that I've got a bit of a life, obviously. Oh, that's nice. It's a nice thing to do. You had this mm. little card table with your with your beverages. It's a nice, it's a nice image that you've created in our in our minds. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming you're your wife's um, mince pies that we discussed last week. Yeah, yeah, she did all the she she spent like Saturday Sunday doing all this baking, and um, yeah, it was really good eating. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Very festive. The festive fun is uh, is kicking off in your uh, household. That's good to hear. Uh, it took a pause for for me and in, in my household as I. Um, just got sicker and sicker all of last week. Um, hopefully, I sound a bit better, listeners, than I did. Uh, I feel like my voice is is back to somewhat normal. But yeah, things went real sideways from from Wednesday onwards. There's only so much tea you can drink. I discovered tea is always the recommendation for sick people in Germany. Not the lovely cup of uh, Yorkshire tea. That the British would enjoy, but uh, various kinds of Houston tea, so cough cough tea, I guess it is, and uh, there's some other ones like uh, uh, that. My wife just kept handing me mugs of random smelling tea bags. Um, I can't say any of it did me any good. Um, at least it didn't feel like it did me any good. But uh, I'm here now, thankfully, which is probably more down to ibuprofen than anything else. I was about to ask you though. Um, I think like Germany's choices of tea is quite baffling. Like they have like vanilla strawberry cheesecake, and that's supposed to be a flavor of tea. You have mint, uh, and you know the ordinary things like sage, mint, what have you. But like um, cinnamon lemon tea, I, I'm curious. So um, we are a 
Dutch Sri Lankan household, part Bulgarian and Hungarian, and we have mint, Earl Grey, black tea, and uh, some kind of herb tea that my boyfriend bought five years ago, and he's forgotten what it's supposed to be. <laughs> some random collection of herbs. Yeah. Y you say curious, Dilly, but you just sound judgmental to me. I'm just, you know. <laughs> it's like hamster food, probably. Maybe that could be the new handle next week. Judgmental Dilly Algama. Judgmental Dilly Algama. I would be the first to say that, probably. <laughs> Nick, wh what sort of teas do you have at home? So my standards are, are, are Yorkshire or Rington's. Those are the two kind of mm. base standards. But I don't drink a lot of tea. And, and then we've just got a wide selection of... Of similar to what you've just described, I think we've got like a a, a winter tea that's got orange in it. We've got some mint mm. teas. We've got some croiter tea. There's what's the one that's like it's like good nacht tea or something like this. Ah, yeah, good night tea, like with lavender and and yeah. uh, like lemon balm and calming things. I think we've still got some stuff from when my wife was pregnant that she was drinking that was meant to make her feel a little bit better or settle her stomach. So there's there's a variety. But we were we were looking we've been um collecting toys and various other things together to give to kids who who may not get much for Christmas. So mm. we've been like making parcels. And one of the things that was requested was tea. So mm. I had to go to the supermarket to buy some. And that's a journey, isn't it? When you go to the supermarket to the tea section, because mm. you really get, a, you, you get exactly what you just described, sort of these random collection of flavors. Mm. And I think if you're a, a novice to Germany's tea selections, I, I reckon anything that's branded towards sort of Turkish tea or tea that's, that's coming from Turkey, I would mm -hmm. say that's a pretty good standard. You're not going to put milk in it, of course, but, Why? Um, because I, I don't think it. I don't think it settles in the same way, and most of the time you don't drink milk with the tea. The the tea you get from certainly in Turkish restaurants I've been to, you don't usually get milky tea, but you get a really nice cup of tea mm. uh, usually after after you've eaten. And if we go to the kebab place around the corner, if we have to wait, they make us a cup of tea, and that's quite nice. Mm. I would always say that's worth a shot. But it is different drinking tea without milk. And if you've spent your entire life drinking it that way, it is a little bit weird, I would I would say, for me. But nice enough. I just can't stand the Kreuter teas and the Pfefferman's teas. And the, the what was the other one that we got? I think we ended up getting, there was one that was like a, a pineapple flavored or something. What? That was really awful. Oh. Uh, it's just not a good flavor at all. So, yeah, no. I've got a, a wide selection of tea that... Um, of which I only really focus on the the British side of the uh, the tea cupboard, mm -hmm. uh, which is fast. Don't get me wrong, but no, <laughs> it's not very uh, very wide. The selection, uh, two types of tea pack. Simon, what about your kiwi household? Actually, my wife has been drinking a bit of tea recently, uh, and sort of I don't know fruity ones. I don't really take a lot of notice myself. Not been a tea drinker generally. But I was just thinking, actually, in the summer, one thing I do like to do is to um, boil up a liter or so of uh, Turkish apple tea mm. and then chill it and have it in the fridge. Ooh, and nice. that's actually really nice. And I don't put any sugar with it, just yeah. have it as is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's worth me making the effort to, to make a liter yeah. or so of that. 
stick it in the fridge, cool it down. It's good. Is that is that from Tekana, the brand? Turkish apple? I don't know about any brands there, Dilly. Just, it's just called Turkish apple. <laughs> apple, I should say. You got Tekana. The one I like is Lord Nelson. That's such a weird That's nice. <laughs> That's true. Lord Nelson. That's the supermarket <laughs> brand for Aldi or Lidl. Isn't Lord Nelson something else as well? No, that's uh, Prince Albert, I think. Oh, I'm sorry, Prince Albert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be. Who knows? These these things do tend to uh, change their meaning over time. But yeah, I'm not sure that Lord Nelson was particularly famous for his cups of tea, but it's it's a British-sounding name, and that's, I think, what they're aiming for. Yeah, it sounds for. like it. That's a very, yeah. very Dorothy Sayers, very tea-drinking mm. British kind of people. But yeah, I think the tea-drinking was probably the reason why on Wednesday evening last week, I thought to myself, you know, I feel, I feel better now. I think I've recovered from being sick. Um, I've drank so much tea. I'm clearly healthy. And on Thursday morning, I uh, packed myself up and went to work like a good little boy, uh, got on the Strassen barn, felt okay, taught a class. And then I went to my office to do some uh, marking, check my emails, that kind of stuff. And within seconds of sitting down, I just began to feel worse and worse. And my wife had done this really cool thing of packing a hot water bottle in my uh, work bag. So I was like, right, I got the hot water bottle. I know it was a really genius idea. I think it saved my life. I went to get the, the hot water bottle, filled it up, sat in my, and I sat in my office in my overcoat with my scarf on, with my hot water bottle under my arm. And I was like, oh no, I, I'm getting worse and worse and worse and as my next class approached i could just feel myself beginning to slip and i got up and i knocked on my my boss's door and uh, um and i opened it and um my boss literally recoiled at the sight of me <laughs> um is she german yes yes she is okay well i, I can just imagine like you arriving at office with your full set of flu symptoms and um, entering the close quarters of your boss, that, that I, I would frown upon that too. Well, I was concerned with my colleagues as well um, and, and concerned that I might pass something on even if I felt okay. Yeah. So I was, wearing, I was wearing a mask. But mm. the mask itself, I think, makes it almost worse because yeah. it's like the indicator that there might be something wrong. <laughs> and so <laughs> me walking around with a mask was not considered... Uh, no. Any better than than if I hadn't I had just stayed at home. So Nick, are you absolutely sure it wasn't COVID? Because I've been reading a little 100%. bit recently that um, that some strains the old nasal swab isn't good enough, and that you actually mm. need to do a throat swab as well as a nasal swab to to actually pick up the um, virus. Interesting, because I don't think actually that it was anything to do with COVID. I, I was actually. I tested, I tested, and I don't think it was. But now you're saying that, it makes me slightly concerned that that maybe I missed a trick. Uh, but I don't even know anywhere that still does the alternative uh, testing. Yeah, I I don't know where where I would get a a throat swab from if I had to. I guess yeah. from your GP um, if you had to. I mean, I mean, there was a lot of people who were asking this that same question of, are you uh, have you got COVID? Have you tested? And I was mm. like, yeah, and. Uh, to be honest, it didn't. It didn't feel like COVID. It felt like a really powerful kind of flu. And actually, when I went to the doctors on Friday, 
I caved and eventually decided it was the only thing to do. And plus I needed a Arbeits Unfähigkeits Bescheinigung is the Arbeits word. Arbeitsunfähigkeits Bescheinigung, yeah. Yeah, really, really um, intense bit of yeah. compound nouning there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to get one of those. And uh, the doctor actually said, um, she, she, she was not surprised by anything I had to say. And I basically just said that, you know, these are my symptoms. And she was, she was just taking notes and nodding. And then I said, does any of that sound like out of the ordinary? And she's like, no, you're like the 120th person I've seen in the last two days with exactly the same symptoms. You're lucky that you even got an appointment because they'd stopped accepting appointments and accepting new uh, patients. And a lot of places are doing the same thing because they're just inundated with people who are turning up with, with cold symptoms, really intense cold and flu symptoms. And it was a fever, it was body aches, it was a little bit of a cough. And it seems like reading in the news that that's a real common issue. It's also a, a big issue. It was quite funny thinking about how I'd approach this like going to work thing because we're t you're told uh, in Germany you shouldn't go to work if you're mm. sick. And in Britain, it's like you never take a sick day because most companies don't even give you sick pay. And there was an article in The Guardian that was kind of like, uh, oh, turbo flu. Should you just ignore it and go to work anyway? <laughs> that's, like, that's like, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like the British approach. Get some Lemsip and go to work. Forget about it. Actually, I was um, recently, quite recently, I, I thought I was getting a headache and I knew that if I didn't get a day off and have a nappy, I'm sorry, and have a nap, that's what my boyfriend and I call naps, nappies. Have a nappy. Have a nappy. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd say it online yeah. somewhere. Shit. Anyway. I knew that if I didn't have a nap somewhere uh, during the day, that I would just fall sick and I'd be off work, off of work for like two weeks. And mm -hmm. I went to the doctor and the receptionist said that I'd have to wait three hours because they were short-staffed. Apparently, even the doctors were sick. Mm -hmm. And there was only one doctor working. I, I Anyway, I sat down and uh, the doctor looked at me. Uh, she tapped my head and face and, and, and I said, I, I, I just, you know, I couldn't go into work today because I had such a rough night and I would just keel over. And she said, okay, this is Tuesday, which means that you're not going back to work until Monday. I said, no, no, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'll be fine. She said, no, you won't be. Um, <laughs> you're not so going back confidence. to work. <laughs> <laughs> you will not be fine. <laughs> um, apparently she's a very good doctor because, uh, I, I did not feel any better uh, in the afternoon, and I'm very glad that she gave me the rest of the week off. Mm -hmm. uh, no doctors at work either, just two nurses and one doctor. Yeah. Yeah, you're unlikely to get any kind of uh, support on that front. You're really only going to get, if you're lucky, a nurse, a school nurse at least. We don't, I don't think we even have anything at the university on site. And really all it, all it required was a lot of bed rest and mm. liquids and mm. that was basically what the doctor said and when i came home my wife was like well what 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 um prescriptions did she give you she said and i was like none because what's she going to give us more ibuprofen and that's basically all we get and she said oh but you could have got cough syrup and i was like well i don't really need it because i don't have much of a cough and really all it, all i needed was just loads of sleep and loads of, of liquids i also watched uh the Doctor Who specials, that made me feel a bit better. <gasps> nice. Um, I just, do you know when you're like so sick? Like I was watching, I think I watched an episode of The Bear 
which mm. is about the restaurant in Chicago. But there was like a montage sequence of one of the characters mm. eating loads of food and it made me so sick. It made me feel so ill. I was like, I can't watch this. And I just, I just desperately wanted something that was comforting. Mm. And that was the thing that, that, that I landed on. Because it was either that or just watching like cartoons from the 80s. That was the other option. <laughs> it was like, can I find all the episodes of Thundercats online? That might make me feel better. Did you have like lots of chicken soup? No, nah, couldn't eat anything. No, nothing. Couldn't eat anything. Uh, I had the only things I really ate were um, my wife's a, a dab hand at making soup anyway, so she made some soup. But um, yeah, really, I couldn't. I couldn't eat anything, and actually, um, it's uh, it still, my, my appetite still hasn't really recovered. So I think there's there's probably an impact there. Mm. But. Um, Now, now the kindergarten's shut for the week because they can't get enough staff. You only, you can only, you can only send your kids in if your parents have to work. So it just seems like it's, uh, it's, it's doing the rounds. It's going through everybody. So you can only send your child to the kindergarten if both parents have to go to work. Yeah, exactly. If both oh, parents okay. have to go to work, then, uh, then, and since my wife's on uh, maternity still, then um, it would seem a little bit uh, ridiculous if we if we took advantage of that. Although yeah. I think after today, my wife probably would consider it tomorrow because <laughs> she thinks she's a bit worn out from having to deal with um, two kids. Because uh, because my son was sick, mm. he's now he's just super clingy, and if my if my son's super clingy, then my daughter is desperate for all the attention. Uh, so it just has a knock on effect, and it can be it can be really wearing after a while. Mm. Uh, for sure. When you said that, Nick, I, I immediately thought when you talked about two kids, I was thinking, which two kids in the house is that? Were well, you suggesting that I might be one of those kids? I might have been suggesting that. Yeah. It yeah. was something. It was something my wife kept saying is like, you just you're like a child. She has got an awful bedside manner, the worst bedside manner of any person I've ever met in my entire life. She has no patience whatsoever for anyone being sick. And in fairness, she was sick as well, but she was she was plodding on because she was the only thing holding us all together. So I have to uh, offer her a big thank you because otherwise, yeah, I don't think I don't think the house would still be here. I think it would have crumbled around our heads um, if we'd all just collapsed in a heap on the floor, uh, which at one point it looked very much like was going to happen. But yeah, so the, 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 that was that was my week basically. The, one of the things I was I, I was interested to note on on the the script dilly is is one of your bits of of input here which is about a very particular food stuff that some people might recommend for the sick so it's very high in iron i believe so mm -hmm. do you want to tell us a bit about this bizarre food stuff that you've come across at a uh, a christmas market you visited i do want to say something about the bizarre food stuff i came across at the christmas market so There was one day in Zaksananhat in uh, where I live, where uh, when it did not rain and there was no snow, it was quite safe to walk. And um, I had been, you know, I usually go to the Christmas market once or twice to get a bratwurst because they have really nice ones and you can have it with like mustard. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. but that day they also had liver, so it was like like just stir fried liver with onions that is also stir fried next to the liver. And they just serve it with with bread, and I didn't want to be like the brown person to ask, um, uh, "Do you put any spices in there?" 
<laughs> because it was um, in my town we don't really have um, many brown people <laughs> and mm. I kind of straightened my neck and saw like a mix of what was probably salt and pepper they weren't very generous with it so I, I, I thought on a, on a cold day it would be like a nice thing to have and I don't know it was like big chunky pieces of liver and the salt if at all does not penetrate the surface so when you bite, you you can't break it up with your fingers. And I like eating food with my fingers. Um, I'm Sri Lankan and that is what I do. I eat food with my fingers. And you can't eat liver apparently in Germany with your fingers because you can't like use your nails or anything to like get through the tough surface uh, that is parsley salted, by the way, uh, <laughs> and not spicy at all. And the middle is just like stodgy liver texture, thingy and and there's not much you can do with it you're not really selling me on the idea of liver and I onions don't want at the to. christmas market it sounds <laughs> like i can't even believe you chose it man like i wouldn't choose that if it was the last meal offered have to you me. had liver before i've never had liver before my my grandmother was big on liver and onions and i hated it i hate i hate it now i hated it then the idea of willingly choosing to to have it nah I had never had it and I thought it'll be interesting, uh, we, you know. Um, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't sell it with like a side of uh, yogurt because that's what German Christmas markets do. They sell everything with a side of I yogurt. Think, I think the trick, <laughs> the trick to ordering food at a Christmas market is don't go off-piste. Order the sausages. They're always good. Every sausage is yeah. fine, yeah. perfectly good. If they've got... Uh, sort of uh, they'll have those occasional things that have like different stuff where they'll have like a, a bread like a, a bread with um like a a cooked topping on top i've seen that before that's quite nice like it'll langosh. be um, langosh that's the one that's a hungarian um, thing i think I, I was gonna say it said hung i couldn't remember exactly where it was from i knew it wasn't uh, native to germany but that, i mean mm. that's that's a really good option mm. then you've got um, um churros Churros are good, but that's kind of a sweet thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, you get like Belgian fries, although why Belgian, I wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. But you don't get any other like savory dishes, right? Uh, that's more like um, the thicker cut, I think. But flamkuchen would be the thing that I was thinking about. Ah, it's like this like very thin pizza base with like mm -hmm. with a sparse set of toppings. But anything, anything after that, I would yeah. be really suspicious of. So things that they often do in Augsburg will be, uh, and they do this for whether it's a Christmas market or the Volksfest or whatever, mm. uh, there'll be Spätzle um, or Schiffnudel with Kraut and Speck, which is, which is like, it's too wet. It'll mm. be too like, like the steamer and there's too, there's too, basically there's too much on the pan that they cook it on so it isn't very like crispy and nice mm. it's just a bit kind of soggy and there mm. uh, so like i always avoid that as well but like you can never go wrong with a, a sausage but man you've really gone above and beyond by trying liver and onions i, I can't even like simon's face was was inscrutable at the at best i couldn't quite work out exactly what he was thinking but i imagine it isn't positive this is what i'm thinking i haven't had a lot of liver but i've just got this idea that when you eat liver it's sort of it sucks up all the moisture that's in your mouth and it's just really dry and crumbly. Yes, yes. very stodgy. It's like, uh, it should be cut into smaller pieces because otherwise it's like a big chunk of dry. Well, you could say that about a piece of cardboard as well if you had to eat it, really. 
you know, chop you it could. into small it's, pieces. I, I can't believe it. I mean, I, I, I was too tired. Otherwise, I would have just like um, put it up on a ch out on a chopping board. I would have like chopped it up and added it to a pan with my own spices, and it would have been a lot better. But I don't know. I, I've always wanted to try liver. I've wanted to cook it, and now I'm not going to. So, <laughs> I think if you cooked it the way you were thinking, it should be cooked. It would probably be quite nice. I mean, it's, if the flavor needs to be hidden, if you ask me. It needs to be hidden really well. Otherwise, it's not really... It needs spices. It's Definitely. organ meat. I've never had organ meat before. Don't say organ meat again. That sounds just even worse. Organ meat. Uh, it's, it's organ meat. Organ meat. Organ uh, meat. Uh, God, I, I feel like I did last week. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, Simon, you 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 went the more traditional route when you, went, when you finally left the house, right? Yeah. You finally left the house this weekend and did something. Hooray! Uh, what did you do? Well, I was quite. A, I, I was actually genuinely enthusiastic about going down to our very local Bad Goodersburg Christmas markets, and there was a, a break in the weather. In fact, Sunday was gorgeous here, and um, we went down and, and just had dinner, and not crowded at all. And it's it's pretty underwhelming, I think, by German Christmas market standards. But I was just thrilled to have a curry verst and pommes and. Um, it was really good, and it, oh my goodness, they didn't hold back with the curry sauce as well. It was just swimming in curry sauce, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, I don't get out that much, so it was pretty exciting. I know that's not really the most exciting thing in the world, but I was excited. No, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you get six pieces of, of versed and the rest is just the sauce. Yeah. That's the, usually the way it works. Yeah. Did you get a bread roll with, with it? No, and mm. I wouldn't have wanted one because the, the, the pommes, they were really good. And they mm. were like, you know, I, I I think there's a there's a whole science around the surface area. If, if a if a chip is too large, too physically big, it becomes too stodgy. Whereas if it's too thin, it, it just becomes a little too crispy, and there's there isn't enough potato taste in it. And I thought these ones they were sort of like finger finger width wide, shall we say? And they were they were really good. It's like, I didn't expect them to be so good. They were very good. Mm. Yeah, my, my wife did some wonders uh, when she took the kids to the Christmas market last Friday by complimenting the, because our, our Christmas market is, is, is run by the Farines, so the different mm. clubs run a mm. different stand. And the Turkish Farine had, had their stand that had like just, the, just amazing. It was, it's always nice having just different stuff. And they had like... Um, uh, lamb kofters and stuff like that. It was just mm -hmm. delicious, what? right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I was blown. My you mind had was blown. in your yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, totally. And I was just like, "Yep, yeah, I'm ordering all of that." And uh, when, when when I went on Sunday, but they went on Friday, and my wife buttered them up by saying it was the best pommes she'd eaten in a long time. And the guy went, "Here, have some for free." So <gasps> she got free pommes. <laughs> and that's like, hey, you know how to play the game, right? You know how to do this. There's always the danger that when you go to these places, at least this would be the case in New Zealand, I think, you'd be like, oh, I wonder how often they've changed the oil. Is the oil really mm. bad? Because often it's the quality of the oil that makes all the difference, right? And if they're just recycling that oil day after day after day, then I think that can have quite a detrimental impact on the, on the pomace. Oh, sure, sure. But I think... I think when it's this local and it's and the people the people who are running it everyone knows and they're representing like their 
their little groups, I think everyone's a little bit more conscientious. So even the um, the handball team, their stand was 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 high end. The glue vine was really good. It was none of that glue vine out of a out of a carton sort mm. of sh- sort of shtick. It was all homemade. There was uh, the people doing the fight sang baller, the, like the turbo glue vine. That was all handmade. It was all just like really high end. I've got a question for you uh, both. Have either of you heard of the term Pisa shock? Pisa shock? No, no, not I, I haven't. I've only heard of it because I read the script before the show started tonight. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to give the same answer. I, I, that's why I said I haven't, but fine, I have. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I have, because I told you about it in the script. Uh, no, I mean, thank you for your honest answers, both of you. Yeah, the term Pisa shock is something that a lot of German people will be aware of uh, because of its historical significance going back to 2001. But also, if you've been reading the papers in Germany over the last week, the term Pisa shock has become a, a major headline. And this is because the Pisa we're talking about isn't the leaning tower of Pisa. It isn't the city in Italy. It is, in fact, the... A program for international student assessment, which mm-hmm. is a, a a study that is done every three years. So Germany has a few sacred cows, but the, one of the biggest is seemingly this blind reliance on the PISA study to tell the country everything it needs to know about its own education system. And like I said, it happens every three years. The last one was 2018. There was a bit of a pause for the pandemic, and now the new results are out. And the first results that for the PISA study came out in 2001, the first study was, I think, in 2000. And it was a very upsetting moment in, for, for Germans. Uh, and it's remembered as the PISA shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, this typical German hyperbole, which saw the results of the PISA study uh, lead to a massive shakeup of education across the country uh, because the results were much lower or much worse than many people were expecting. And, and Germany has this um, self-made or self, self-assured self understanding that it is a country of education. Uh, and to realize that actually it doesn't have the best education in the world and certainly doesn't have the best education system in comparison to other countries would came as a bit of a shock. And like I said, there was a full reform of education that we're, st- we're still living with those reforms today. We may be facing something similar in 2023 as the results that were released last week were, lo and behold, pretty poor. Germany has not done as well as it maybe had hoped or had expected. And you may be asking who exactly is expecting them to do well. well it's apparently every journalist in the whole of the country. Uh, anyone capable of slapping their fingers across a keyboard has given their opinion about these particular results. And it was the German media was full of stories about how Germany was failing children, that migrants with poor German were holding everyone back, and that the kids were too busy on the TikToks to care about their own futures. The thing that, uh, that I want to highlight, and the thing that seemed really bizarre, was how similar every headline was. And every headline seemed to be Pisa's done this study, Germany's not that good, we're terrible, the kids aren't all right, we need to fix the system, how do we fix the system? And now this week we're just getting every politician and their 
and, and their dogs coming out saying, you know, hey, uh, I, this is my idea. And what was it? I saw someone going, oh, we need a holistic system or we need to invest more money or we need to do this or we need to do that. Students need to work harder, blah, 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 blah. We need to reform the entire education system across the country. And I think it's such a strange thing to, to, to happen in a country like Germany that they seem to have a blind reliance on PISA studies as the, the, the be-all and end-all of, of how good your education system is. And ultimately, if you want to know how useful the actual PISA study is, it, there is a very wide debate around it. But you wouldn't know that from the reporting in Germany. It seemed very much the case that uh, people were accepting entirely that the PISA study was the foremost study of education in the world. It's global. It covers all these different countries, and therefore it must be perfect. And we should listen to it with uh, ultimate faith. Uh, and, and and not question it in any way, shape, or form, and therefore every article didn't even bother to go into uh, some pretty obvious criticisms that you would make of a study such as as the PISA study. And if you ask the OECD who developed the tests, they'd say it's very very important that we listen to the PISA study. However, when you ask and read about education through the eyes of experts and academics across Europe, you'll hear a completely different story. And the criticisms are pretty bold and can be outlined in a few different areas. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is it's something that's in the milieu of English speakers living in Germany. I, I want to be careful with how I put this, but it does feel like to me that there's a lot of people who are raising kids in relationships much like mine, where one partner is German and one is British or American, where the American or British element fails miserably to understand how education actually functions in Germany. Mm. And then they go out into the world and voice their dissatisfaction with how education works based on a very anecdotal understanding and very little trust. And I think the lack of trust that's been growing and has grown within Britain and America in their own education systems is transferred almost one-to-one -to, -one to Germany as if the problems in America and the problems in Britain are the same problems in Germany. And it just isn't the case. And I see tweet after tweet after tweet of people who fail to understand how the system works. And we, Dilly and I were talking about this off mic, which mm. was, I constantly see this refrain about how German education decides your future at the age of 10 and it's decided by one teacher with no oversight and no understanding of how kids develop and it frankly just pisses me off every time I read a tweet like that it just and, and it pisses me off every time I read an article that treats the PISA study as if it's the most important thing that's ever happened and there's no comeback to it because actually as I'll show you there's a lot of fucking comeback so we'll deal with, with, with these, these different issues one by one. So the first thing is the PISA study. How it functions, they release a table of success and failure, essentially, across uh, three important metrics, which are reading, mathematics, and science. Now, currently, Germany is below the OECD average in reading and maths and above the OECD average in science. Now, I've, the reason I state that is, if you read any article at all, you probably didn't get that information because they seem to have ignored entirely the statistics that say Germany's doing well at science and focused entirely on maths and reading, which are, are important, but still. The thing I would highlight is the obvious conclusions you can draw from the study just from what I've said. They have a 
uh, a leaderboard table that they release and they look at three aspects of education, right? And I would argue just based on those two things, it is a terrible way to talk about education systems by comparing countries in that way. Like we're told as migrants to Germany, but also to uh, as people living in the world, we shouldn't compare countries one-to-one. We shouldn't just look at them and go, well, Germany's the best at this and um, Britain's the best at that and America's the best at this and Italy's the best at this. And, and it's a really bad way of measuring it. Or um, Germany has the best beer and Italy has the best pizza and France has the best. It just It's a really shitty thing to do because there's different factors, different elements. It's very restrictive. Yeah. Exactly. Different cultural um, factors in play. And yet this is exactly what PISA does. And they intentionally put these into a leaderboard table and say, this is the best and this is the worst. And that's already worthy of criticism. But the fact that they only focus on three core areas is another criticism because it misses out entirely on things like the arts, things like verbal communication. It misses out on things like the humanities. It misses out on all these other areas of education. Instead, focus is very hyper-specific on these three topics. There are core topics, but aren't the whole of, of an education system. So that's the, the sort of first criticism I would, I would give, right? But if we look at other criticisms that are made, the way the system works is it compares these countries by giving everyone tests, right? So they give tests to, the, to these different schools or they give them to the countries and the, the countries themselves, uh, representatives of the OECD, re- administer these tests. Now, that's fine. However, the ability for some countries to offer the results uh, for only certain areas, usually those areas where the best, there are the best schools, is a big problem. So an example I was reading about was China and how China routinely only allows certain areas of its mm. country to be tested, right? Mostly in places like Shanghai that has the best education system in the country by, by uh, their own admission. And then they compare them to countries like Germany, which has a, something like a 99% coverage where any school can take part, any mm. level of education can take part versus other countries that maybe have an 83% coverage or a 70% coverage. And then we collate all that information together into a table. So that's a bit of a problem when you have only certain areas of one country getting, getting tested and whole countries getting tested and then being compared together. The other bigger problem is the extrapolation of data, which is they they have so many questions, so many questions that kids can't actually answer them all. And so what they do is they give them sort of a test with like, I think it's 150 questions or maybe even less than that. And then they extrapolate the data by guessing what questions they would have got wrong out of all the other questions they could have given them, right? So that is a fundamental issue that no one seems to mention is that the extrapolation of data predicts how students may have answered all questions as opposed to only the ones they actually answered. How on earth is that like sound methodology? It's been criticized for decades, Dilly. Decades? It, yeah. it didn't take them like one criticism to think, oh yeah, okay, the man has got a point there. Oh yeah, but okay, this this bunch of people, they have a point. Maybe we should maybe we should rethink this. And it's, it's not just politicians talking about it. It's actual educational academics who are, who are criticizing it. But the OECD will not be told and the PISA will not be told at all. They will not accept any criticism and they will not reform the system and have not reformed the system, despite some of the articles I was reading were from 2013, mm. giving this information, right? 
Next up on the list of things that could could and do go wrong with PISA is they willfully ignore the fact that the test difficulty is not adjusted for different areas to accommodate for cultural differences. And it also assumes the difficulty of a question to say Chinese for a Chinese person mm -hmm. is the same difficulty as a German question for a German person. So they don't make any allowances for language or the way the question is being asked. Culturally, I mean... Exactly, yes. I mean, even culturally, I mean, you can't, I mean, so are you telling me that they have the same questions in different languages? Uh, basically, yes. Oh, but there's no allowance for certain um, nuances. Cultural perhaps. inferences. <laughs> oh. The other thing is they do measure the happiness of students, except they don't actually put that information into the tables that they release so publicly and seem to get such attention in the media. And that information of happiness of students is never factored into the overall results. So you see something like Singapore uh, regularly gets very high scores mm. for its education system and it's the results from its students. But when you look at the scores for the happiness of students, they're routinely at the bottom of the table. And that is never factored in as an issue. It's just commented on or they put it into a different table. Uh, they don't actually merge these things together. And it would be these are fair criticism, I think, of, of of the system, and that would be one thing. But what I found was more troubling was a, a, a an article that was written by a woman called Monteza um, Gomenyendo, I think her name is. She was the mm -hmm. former education secretary for Spain, and she wrote a stinging criticism uh, in 2023 about. Uh, PISA and about the OECD. Now, you might go, well, she was a politician. She was former education secretary. She probably has an axe to grind. She also worked for the OECD at the center of skills. So she's been on both sides of the equation here. And she notes that PISA seems to delight in making the headlines with its leak tables. It loves it because the reason it loves it is the media attention draws politicians in because what it wants to do is change policy. And if it wants to change policy, it wants attention and it wants politicians freaking out, right? Now, fundamentally, what does that lead to? Short-term decisions, because what politicians are inevitably going to do are yeah. going to try and raise their PISA scores in three years by implementing things that are short-term, they'll have a short-term impact. Ah. So actually, it's just this vicious circle of like freaking people out, politicians do mm. something, it has some kind of impact. Scores go up a bit, politicians slap themselves on the back and tell themselves they've done a great job, and then off they go uh, and, and, and continue down another line that has suddenly become more important. Now, that was one point that was made by Gomenyendo. Gomenyendo also noted that it, it celebrated this concept of equity. Now, this is something you hear about a lot in Germany. The German system is not equal, right? Mm -hmm. It's unfair. It's an unfair system that treats people unfairly, right? And we'll, I'll talk about the criticism in a moment. But the German system is three-tiered. It's, a, it's a, a, a tertiary system where you've got gymnasium, you've got uh, middle schüler, I think, and it's, it's realschüler, I think, is the structure, right? And you have um, you you are assessed in primary school, and then uh, you are recommended into one of these three mm. categories. If you get into gymnasium, it's very tough. You get the Abitur, which is the big uh, secondary school qualification, and it can mean good, with good results that you can go off to university, where the other tiers are more focused towards vocational training, right? So what Gomiendo points out is that the OECD has like a, 
implicit bias within its system that believes that equity of education is the most important thing. Mm. And she uses the example of Spain where she says that the OECD and, and PISA celebrated Spain for its equity and how equal its system was. It didn't matter where you came from. Everyone got the same level of education. But what it didn't take into account was the fact that Spain has a high level of students repeating grades, mm. uh, almost one of the highest in Europe. Uh, for for students repeating the grades over and over again, right? And it celebrates these results, but then ignores the fact that in Spain, and this is a direct quote, grade repetition is a reliable proxy for early school leaving, which in turn leads to a high rate of youth unemployment and a large number of individuals who are not in school, the workforce, or training. And that's from Gomiendo herself saying that. And so you have this thing saying, oh, well, the Spanish system's great. It's very equal. Everyone gets a fair, a fair shake, you know? But actually, it hides the information that we have this other failing on the other side of the Spanish education system. Mm. And, this, and this focus on equity also tends to present issues for PISA when it makes recommendations. So it focuses on equity, equality of systems. It believes you shouldn't have tracking. You shouldn't mm. have segregation of students. Mm. And it criticizes those systems like Germany's that tends to segregate children into one of these three levels. Now, PISA suggests you, this shouldn't be done, or at least it should be done at a later stage. However, many education systems already do that at 16, right? So you can stay in school until 16, and then you're going to be tracked off into a different place. Mm. But since the tests are only administered to 15-year-olds, we have no data on the success or failure of uh, vocational education in Germany for students over the age of 15. We only have it for 15-year-olds. So we don't know if the vocational training is better or worse or improved because PISA don't track that. They don't study that. And they're not interested in that, but they also don't mention it. We're still, academic studies have kind of concluded that school choice often does lead to better student outcomes without necessarily generating segregation and that some of the, the few countries with early tracking show little, if any, difference in student performance and employability rates for vocational education students. So employability isn't massively impacted by this system. It is just a perception that it is unfair. Mm. And I think it's more to do with the perception that people uh, have to go to university. You're smart if you go to university. Mm. And that, frankly, is a societal issue. That has nothing to do with the yeah. education system. And if you think success is going to university, that's you. That's not the system. If my kids go to university, great. If they don't, they can be a success in other areas too. As well, yeah. Absolutely. And it's true to say that in Germany, a lot of people think gymnasium is the success, right? You've yeah. failed if you haven't gone to gymnasium, but that is a societal problem. That is society, that's politicians, that's individuals yeah. making that so. It's nothing to do with how the education system works and especially nothing to do with how teachers operate, right? This perception yeah. that teachers are all prejudiced is ridiculous. Are teachers in Germany prejudiced? Yeah, I'm sure some of them are. Are some teachers yeah. choosing students who are people of color and treating them differently from white German students? Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. But that's a societal problem at large. That yeah. isn't just happening in education. That's happening if you try and get a job. That's happening if you're trying to get a uh, any kind of position that happens in the street, right? So like us pointing at education and going, German education is broken, it's racist, is kind of ridiculous. You should be pointing at society and going, the society is not functioning properly. The society is also racist. R education routinely is a reflection of the society mm -hmm. it comes from. Yeah. And German education is that exactly. 
And for Germany specifically, there's another key point that would be the, the fact that pupils are often coming from an unequal society. Yeah. We know Germany is an unequal society. We know there's rich and poor and not everyone gets a fair shake. And in more equal societies, such as Finland, the students are often more uniform and in, in their ability and can, without much risk, implement these inclusive policies that tend to treat all students similarly and, and bring them all together into kind of a comprehensive system. So people often point to Finland and say, oh, Finland's education is great because they track later. They don't divide off early and, and mm -hmm. tell you what, what you can and can't achieve at 10 years old. But that's also because Finland's a, a much more equitable society in comparison to Germany. And if it's more equitable, then you're going to have maybe uh, potentially more uh, two-parent households, maybe more wealth in the household so parents aren't having to work two jobs. You maybe have more security. Maybe the parents read to the kids more. Maybe there's more preschools. All of these other elements that, that PISA just does not give a shit about and are actually massive impacts on whether your, your child is a success in education. So we can see in, in, in Finland with a more equitable society, with more balance between students, you can have this system of comprehensive. However, if you take that system and transpose it onto a society like Germany's that's less egalitarian uh, and requires different approaches, it's not going to meet the challenges of education and, and of pupils that come from an ability diverse population. So this idea that we should be more like Finland is fucking ridiculous. It's so backward. It's yeah. so beyond the, the pale. Uh, but you hear it all the time. Oh, we should. Germany constantly points at Finland. There's an article I was reading because Finland also had shitty results. In fact, most of Europe had shitty results like Germany. Uh, again, something you don't necessarily hear. But there was an article in Zeit that was saying, oh, do we think that Finland's now a failure in education? Like, that's it. Like, oh, Pisa said they're not doing well. They must, have, they must be fucked right? It's so stupid. It's so stupid, right? So what's PISA telling us then in terms of who's doing well? Of the OECD countries that, that, that were covered, uh, Germany got a score of 475, Singapore got 575, Japan got 536, Korea 527, Estonia got a great score of 510, Switzerland 508. So there's your sort of top, top echelons of the world, whereas Germany just isn't competing at the same level on these, on these metrics. And, and if we look at things like uh, the sciences, Germany scored 492, Singapore got 561, but you can see it also in kind of reading, where um, reading levels and maths levels were, were stellar in Singapore, but not great in Germany. So Germany for reading got 480, Singapore got 543. And that tells us something but it doesn't tell us everything. The other thing that really, really pisses me off is Singapore routinely comes top. Mm. Guess what kind of system Singapore operates under? Anyone want to take a wild stab in the dark? <laughs> I can see it coming like a big freight train. Ding, ding, ding. They have almost exactly the same system as, as Germany. In fact, when Singapore decided to invest in its population instead of investing in not, like sort of resources and exports and all this stuff, when it started to invest in its population, do you know what it did? It had an even more extreme tracking system where they tracked students as early as possible to filter them into the right tracks, into the right academic tracks, into the right vocational tracks. And it was only when they started to get successful scores did they relax the tracking and make it much later down the line. So we have a tracked system that follows a very similar um, process and, and approach to Germany coming top, but you never hear that. 
especially from those Americans and British people who routinely criticize the German system. They look at PISA and say, we're failing, but they don't look at Singapore and go, well, if we're failing, what, how come Singapore has the same system and they're succeeding? So is it the system or is it the society that's at issue here? You know, you talked about happiness of students, and I'm almost kind of surprised that they're doing that because that seems like a extremely problematic area to measure, I would have thought. Yeah, I think, I think it's difficult. It's difficult to measure happiness. It's extremely subjective, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the people who celebrate these kind of comparison tests and tables, I think are usually extremely uncomfortable with any notion of subjectivity when it comes to assessment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess that's that's just a massive question in my mind. I, I looked at a an article in, that was written in New Zealand a week or so ago about New Zealand's performance, which was also not good. One of the first questions that was asked was, what actually is the education system for? Because the danger is, if you look too narrowly at an education system and say an education system is is purely a system to achieve a certain test result, that is extremely problematic when really shouldn't we be asking that an education system should be preparing citizens to fully participate in society in a very broad sense, whether it's being productive uh, workers in the economy, but also the kind of conscientious, well-informed, good judgment-forming uh, voters in a democracy. I, th- I think I think that's that's part of it. Is that uh, you, it's very hard to, to test that. Yeah, exactly. And so why test it? So don't test it because it's really hard to. Don't. It's too too hard. Basket. Let's test something that we can test, and mm. then convince ourselves yeah. that's all we need to test. Wow. We only want tangible results. And actually, if you read the PDF they release, every few pages, they've got a little promotional thing about what PISA's doing. So did you know around 690,000 students took the PISA assessment? And I'm like, why are you telling us that? Did you know PISA assesses 15-year-olds? Is this the last point at which most children are still enrolled in formal education? Well, you're not going to be able to tell me fuck all about vocational uh, education then are you you're not going to be able to tell me about about um adzubis and you're not going to be able to tell me about how how companies train people and when i worked when i worked for siemens i'd routinely be working with managers maybe one or two would be coming from the gymnasium the vast majority came through some kind of apprentice scheme or some kind of filtering from educate from school where they started literally at the bottom and they're sitting in a manager's meeting d- learning english from me right that happened all the time and were these people unhappy were they unsuccessful no they were very successful within their fields right but they're not they're not out on the street waving flags saying like look at me look at me look at me look at my success so we just don't think Mm -hmm. about it i think the thing that really just boils my piss is that i think most educators know the failings in the system that needs more investment like so much of everything in germany just needs to be invested in needs more money and needs to have less politics involved because when politicians get involved in education they make shit ideas and pull them out their ass and and force teachers to do do things 
prime example, new educational reform in, in, in Bavaria. Do you know what they're doing? Every single teacher has to teach their class for 15 minutes at the start of the day about the constitution, right? Sounds great. Sounds eye-catching headline, teaching kids about the constitution and bringing people to understand how Germany functions legally. Great idea, right? But then think about the practicalities of it, first and foremost, right? Every day, how, long, how many days are there in the school year? And how many little bundles of 15 minutes do you have? And what do you do in those 15 minutes? Do you lecture them? Do you give them a crossword? As if teachers aren't overloaded with enough work as it is. You, I know this is assumption that teachers get nine weeks off a holiday for summer and all this shit. That is bollocks, right? And, it, and, it, and teachers work their asses off throughout their own holidays. And um, so you have this 15-minute block where they've got to teach something about the Constitution. Fine. Okay. Um, we've put that in place. Um, but without any explanation of how you do it, how it'll function, what's the focus of it, what's the point of it, but it sounds good, so we'll just do it. And it, it's in a prime example of what happens when, when people who have no idea how education actually functions get involved in education. And personally for me, the pandemic has been disastrous for education because parents think they know more about how education works than they actually fucking do. And they've got this perception of teachers as having no understanding of how little Maximilian is learning. They know so much about their kids. They know so much about their abilities, right? I'm not saying every teacher's perfect. I'm not saying that they're unbiased. I'm not saying there isn't issues in the system that could be rectified. But ripping it out of root and branch and changing it or standing around and pissing on the, on the, the work that uh, uh, good teachers actually do makes no sense. And just because you think your child should be going to university doesn't mean that they, they necessarily have the ability in this moment in time to do so. And also the idea that you can't reach an abitur just because you didn't go to gymnasium is a fallacy because there is tracks that let you and enable you to do that. I know it because I've taught those kids before. Really motivated students who went through lower tiers of education and now getting the abitur and are going to go off to university. Like the, the fact that, that we've got so much criticism of the system coming from politicians who want a short-term fix. Uh, journalists who have no idea how the system actually works, parents who think they know how the system works and have uh, an opinion, but actually have very little understanding of what is done day to day within schools. And then you've got people on the outside who are bringing their own prejudices from Americans, American education or British education to the party and presenting it as if it's some kind of a wonderful new concept that they only they have discovered i just feel i feel like it's i feel like i'm going insane because i feel like we're the only people and i've listened to a few podcasts over the last week uh, english language podcasts in germany that just made no like comment no criticism of pisa no no seemingly no understanding of how education works but they sit and wax lyrical about it as if as if they have a good understanding and and it just it, it just boggles my brain frankly so if i sound annoyed fucking am <laughs> do you i've always had this theory that the problem with education and and the challenge that all, all teachers have is that virtually all of us have been through the education system and so everyone has quite a strong opinion because of their own direct personal experience of the education system or an education system yeah, whereas you can't yeah. expect someone to have a strong opinion about chemical engineering or something because they haven't they haven't been a chemical engineer but we've all been through the education system we've all had mm -hmm. great teachers and we've all had 
mediocre teachers. And yeah, and I think what you say about the whole COVID lockdown remote learning experience has, um, well, it, it seems to have, for, for those people who thought that teachers were lazy, it sort of reinforced their prejudice. And then for those who felt the other way, are probably pretty stunned having tried to struggle to get their own kids to sit through remote classes, which, I mean, just must have been a nightmare for those teachers, particularly primary age children through, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how they did it really. Well, well, that's it. I mean, there's, there's, there's already a teacher shortage. If I was, and, and I, I teach potential teachers and future teachers, and they're diligent kids, you know, and they'll make they'll make good good teachers, I'm sure. But it takes you don't just come out of university as a good teacher. You don't just work mm -hmm. for a couple of years and be a good teacher. No. It's taken me over a decade to get to a point where I feel like I'm I'm a good educator, and it can it can take a lot of time to to perfect that that skill. Have you heard the term, or have you ever heard people say that that teaching is like the priesthood? It's a vocation. I mean, d does that resonate for you, or do you think it's 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 a it's a bit of a cheap comment? Because I, it kind of resonates with me because those teachers who are really good, they just are really good despite everything. They're just really good. Um, but I think actually, in in most walks of life, you, you probably find the same thing. There are some people who are just really good at what they do. And other people are not mm -hmm. so good at what they do, and, and maybe the people who are good at what they do are lucky that they found what they what they're good at doing. What they're yeah. good at, yeah. yeah. I'm a Zeiteneinsteiger teacher, meaning that I didn't study Lehramt at the university. I didn't study to teach, but I started teaching, um, and I got into the job later. And although I have a master's in linguistics, I and um, you know, I've had like the basic training um, and I'm also allowed to learn on the job. It is a massive undertaking. And I don't think that, I mean, you could shower teachers with gold and they would still be underpaid for all the work that they do. You think about students, you, uh, you, you do so much. I mean, the students themselves, they take up so much space in your head. And your heart that, I, I, I mean, I, I can't speak for any other job. Maybe doctors feel the same about their patients, though none that have tr treated me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but doctors can bury their mistakes, right? I mean, they're, they're lucky they can do that. They, yes, but like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm terrified of um, saying the wrong thing to a student and, and, and being that one teacher that they, that they uh, talk about on Facebook 20 years later. And, and someone who just sent them on a the wrong path. It's such a huge responsibility. And um, I mean, I have a lot of respect for teachers here in Germany because it's such a strenuous process. And the days start very early, they end very late. And anyone who says, ah, teachers have like, what, 100 something days off um, anyway because, because of school holidays, I'm just going to beat them up. I think violence is the way. <laughs> If, if you're teaching, if you're teaching, say a very common uh, grouping is something like uh, English and German, right? Mm. If you're teaching English and German, and you're teaching both those subjects, and most of the time you're not, you're probably teaching more German than you're teaching English, right? Usually, the amount of work required mm. to cover that. If you've got a couple of the early classes and you've got an abitur class, that mm. is just marking till the end of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the thing is, 
so many teachers are like you, Dilly. So many that that take the home, the work home with them. They think yeah. about their kids constantly. Yeah. They're concerned about the kids who aren't improving. They want kids to do better. They want yeah. the kids to be confident, and they want them to succeed. Yes. And yes. the del delight, delight that teachers get, and the teachers I know who get when their students get the abitur. <sighs> Or they get the, the the grades they need to go off and do a vo yeah. vocational training. The the delight, it's, it's like pure. It's it's uh, it's heady. I, I have friends who are teachers who've um, lured kids back to school. Uh, you know, kids who are just about to uh, break off uh, their education and just stay at home because they were so uh, disappointed with everything and um, mm. and they saw no future in what they do. And, uh, you know, they've had like good experiences with students saying, uh, hey, this is the best year I've had. And they've and um, and then you hear good stuff about the, the same students from other teachers and, and they're just delighted. And I mean, that's uh, I mean, obviously, you're not supposed to talk about students with other people, but like uh, just being able to uh, uh, I think the takeaway is just being able to make such a huge impact on a mm -hmm. young person. And it's a huge privilege and honor to be able to do that, and and the training that goes into it. It's it's mm. constant. You you keep taking courses. You keep up with teaching methods, teaching material changes. Mm. Um, um, I mean, um, um, and the world is changing, and you have to like really keep uh, keep on track. Uh, I mean, kids can ask you about. Uh, uh, Jordan Peterson. What do you think about Jordan Peterson? What do you think about Andrew Tate? And 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 then you kind of realize that like they're they're looking for someone who 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 knows like the ins and the outs of the uh, new things, the social media, and what what's in and what's out. Uh, I mean, it's a huge responsibility. Various. I don't think that there is any uh, school authority or schulamt here in Germany that has uh, tackled the problem of misogyny and um, uh, on social media like with Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson mm. and 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 like you also have teachers who uh, keep up with material that's not even in any formal curriculum mm -hmm. um, I, I it's a huge undertaking and uh, it, it weighs very heavily um, um, and it's something that should see more investment um, if I should if yeah. I can say it and, and, a fi and a final thought, and just to those people, if you are still listening and haven't turned off because you're upset with the the righteous anger that which which I'm which I'm I'm putting out there, I'll say this: if we're talking about unfair systems, and we're talking about systems needing to be reformed. I went through a comprehensive system, which a lot of people advocate and say, yeah, the comprehensive system is the way to do. Get everybody, put them through the same system. I was tracked in a comprehensive system, and I was put into a lower a lower grouping, and uh, I was told uh, a comprehensive that I better get a trade and there's no chance I'll get to university. Not only did I go to university, not only did I get a master's, I teach at a fucking university now, right? So the idea that somehow changing the system will change the change the outcomes massively just is or make it fairer just isn't the case. There'll always be prejudice in the system, right? That doesn't. That isn't an excuse. It's just that something we should be aware of and should be working towards eradicating it where, wherever possible. But it doesn't take everybody pointing fingers at teachers and education and saying it's broken. You should fix it. It's about everybody getting involved, and it's about fixing the elements that are broken in society too. But um, yeah, maybe that's a bit too complex for a, I don't know, a, a tweet. Uh, but we'll see.
that brings us to the end of the show. We're all off to try some of Dilly's spicy liver and onions. Mm. Yeah, maybe not. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algama. You can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks. I'll be some next time. Cheers. Cheers.